Rafer, I have a little quiz game for you today. Oh boy, I love it. Let's do a back and forth quiz game. Let's see who fails first. The game is <laughs> okay. called, What Do You Know About Elvis? You go. Oh, I don't know anything about no, Elvis. No, you have to name one thing, and I'm going to name one thing, and you're going to name one thing, and I'm going to name one thing, because I know you know about Elvis. Okay. Uh, peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Ooh, delicious. He um, was married to Priscilla Presley, who he met when she was like 13. <laughs> okay, that's good. Uh, pills. Mommy's boy. Mommy's boy, is that right? Oh, he loved Gladys. He loved him some Gladys. I did not know that. Okay. And, uh, well, of course, identical twin. Yes, Jesse. Jesse was his identical stillborn brother who was supposedly born a few minutes before him and then didn't make it. That's right. And, you know, we've heard this story. We have. But have we heard the story that maybe his twin brother wasn't stillborn and had a whole other life? That's a new story. That one right there. And that, of course, is The Identical, a movie that we'll be talking about today that asks that very question. What if Elvis's twin brother had not been stillborn but went on to live an entire life? Wow. We're going to look at that. And we're also going to be talking about Last Days in Vietnam, the new Rory Kennedy documentary about the fall of Saigon. And by popular demand, because so many of you have written and called in asking us to give a review for it. Yes. We're going to be talking about Snowpiercer. So all that, plus an interview with Stuart Murdoch, lead singer and songwriter for Bell and Sebastian, one of our favorite bands. Yes. And he's also the director of a new musical. I love me some musicals. You do. <laughs> the new musical is called God Help the Girl. And as usual, there will be movie trivia. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kristen Mines, our culture producer for The Takeaway. And I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And this is Movie Day. So, Rafer, let's get serious here for a minute and start off with Last Days in Vietnam. Well, this is the new documentary by Rory Kennedy. It's about the fall of Saigon in April of 1975, uh, or actually, I guess you could say the hours uh, and days leading up to that, uh, when uh, the United States was trying to evacuate as many South Vietnamese and Americans that were left in Vietnam uh, and try to get them to safe ground. Here's a clip. There were dozens of ships. And not just Vietnamese naval ships, but also civilian ships. And they were all totally crammed with with people. Now, Kristen, were you familiar with any of this, with the fall of Saigon, that whole story about the evacuations? I'm going to be really honest with you. What I know about the fall of Saigon is mostly from movies and TV and, yes, the musical Miss Saigon. And <laughs> all of this is, you know, it simplifies things. And when I was growing up, you know, a lot of my friends, our dads and so on, mm -hmm. were in Vietnam. There was a major Vietnam movie explosion when I was a kid. Right. And it was a very divisive thing. And what we knew about the fall of Saigon was people are holding onto helicopters, being kicked off, being pushed away. That's all I really knew was See ya, guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. We just tore right. your country apart. See ya. And you can see that. You can see that uh, sort of all, all the all the footage in this movie. Uh, you know, much much or at least some of which made headlines and was was seen by the public back then. Um, you can see a little bit of that in Apocalypse Now, the famous scene where the Playboy bunnies are trying to grab onto the helicopter and they're being airlifted out, and a lot of them are dropping off the oh. the, the skis of the helicopter. Uh, that always seemed to be like a little 
kind of weird, creepy twist on the whole actual process of evacuating these people. I thought this movie was really good uh, and really interesting. I think it's also very clear-headed. Um, it tells you a lot of stories, um, per personal stories by people who were both evacuees and who were doing the evacuating. I think some of the most heartbreaking moments came from the guys who were the final, final American stragglers and had the tough job of basically telling the last remaining South Vietnamese, no, that's it. There's, there's, there are no more choppers. After they'd been promised, we will not leave you behind. And essentially still promising them that to prevent mass panic. We'll um, be right back for you. We'll be right back. But we're not going to come back. Oh, God, horrible, that's heartbreaking. Horrible. I, I, um, I have to say I, I, I choked up. I choked up uh, at, that, at that moment. That was heartbreaking. But to me, the moments that just totally had me choked up were the actual Vietnamese people trying to get out of there, some sure. of whom don't make it out, but they have interviews with them in this movie anyway. Yeah. The, the one story that just blew me away is there's this family. They were able to find a helicopter, charter this giant helicopter yes. over under the sea. They want to land it on a ship, but the ship is too small to land the helicopter on. So the family members, one by one, jump out of the helicopter, and then American soldiers catch them, including a baby. Yeah, one-year-old uh, baby. Oh, it's just mind-blowing. Just yeah. thinking about this story and the desperation. I must get out so badly that I will throw my infant out of this helicopter and just hope that someone catches it. Yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So, so great. Obviously, I think that last days in Vietnam is a good date. Good date. Yeah, sort of, sort of not what you'd call a date movie, but, uh, but yeah, a very, very good date. Um, I, I really like this movie. Uh, so that's Last Days in Vietnam by Rory Kennedy. So, Rafer, the identical. At the top of today's podcast, we were talking about Elvis. We talked about his twin brother. Now, this is the story of what if, what if that twin brother actually wasn't buried, wasn't stillborn, secretly adopted by another family. And this movie looks at that possibility. Of course, we don't call the characters Elvis and Elvis's brother in this. No. They have to have other names. Drexel is the name of who becomes the king, or in this movie, the dream. The dream. <laughs> and then, oddly, his identical twin brother, raised with a very religious family, his father's a preacher, he becomes an Elvis impersonator type known as the identical. So the we identical. have the yes. dream and the identical. <laughs> Here's a clip. Look, I know a lot of songs, and I'll sing every one of them until you say yes. Kid, the jig's up. Here comes the heat. Might this be the disturbing the peace call? You called the cops on me? Oh, I didn't call them. And why are there always police involved with you and me? Yeah, well, that's uh, that's Blake Rain there, who's a uh, playing Ryan Wade, the the twin brother who looks and sounds exactly like Drexel the Dream, and he also plays Drexel the Dream, and in real life he is an actual Elvis impersonator, as I love you can that. probably it's so meta, as you can kind of tell from <laughs> listening to him there. Although, would, like he's in that scene, he, I think he's supposed to be like eighteen. Yeah, he, and he's he, like a forty-year-old. He's kind of fat Elvis playing yes. thin Elvis through the whole movie, yeah. or old Elvis playing young Elvis through the whole movie. Yeah. I know, I know. Uh, yeah, he never really ages. Um, everyone else ages, uh, but not, not, not Elvis. Um, well, Kristen, you know, what did you make of this film? <laughs> well, I actually thought it was really wacky, good fun. I mean, who doesn't love a story of you know a what if story? Yeah, you know? it's like oh. 
And who doesn't like an identical twin story? These are great things. They've been used over and over again in movies and soap operas and so on. Of course. Yeah, sure. We all, we all love that, that what if thing. And it makes so much sense because it, at least for me, made me think, oh, wouldn't that be really interesting if Jesse Presley never did die? And maybe one of the many Elvis impersonators I've seen over the years, like all those Elvis spottings in the 80s on the cover of the National Enquirer. Remember yeah. those? Yeah. Like, oh, Elvis spotted pumping gas in right, Florida. Right. Um, what if all of those were actually Jesse Presley just out there? But here's my question. Is that interesting? I think it's fun. And the movie's just, it, you know what? This movie is no great work of art. It's just good fun. It's silly. It's, you know. What's the fun part? That's my, that's my, <laughs> my question here is what's the, what's the fun part? The, the whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking, okay, so there's, a, there's Elvis. And Elvis is rising to global stardom and becoming this galvanizing force on the, on the, on the global pop culture scene. And then his twin brother is, you know, kind of working in a garage. He's equally talented. That's the whole thing. He's just because he's identical twin. He's just as talented as um, as Elvis. But he, you know, his dad is a preacher and wants him to be a preacher. So he's trying to please his dad. And you know, he but he moonlights in a band and never quite gets his, you know, career off the ground. And when he finally decides, you know, doggone it, I'm not going to be a preacher. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a musician. He becomes an Elvis impersonator, and now he's becoming almost as famous as his twin brother. And the whole time I'm thinking, but where is this going? What's happening here? Is that is that the triumph? Is the triumph that you that good good on you, boy? You, you became an Elvis way, impersonator. Did you watch it all the way to the end, Rafer? Did you watch it? To the, <laughs> oh, because believe I am not. Me, I, I did. <laughs> why, what what, I, to what not, are you referring? Because I'm not going to give a spoiler away. But I will say this: yes. he realizes a little bit more about himself and what he wants to be, what he'll settle for, what he won't settle for, and a lot of that is reconciling how he feels about his parent lines. Yes, including. I'm not going to go into it. I'm not well, going to go gonna, into it. I'm going to go I'm into it gonna, because no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because here's the other thing. Not only is this movie totally bizarre, but about two-thirds of the way through the film, maybe, it suddenly becomes Zionist. It becomes a, it becomes okay, a movie okay. that you is— You know what? I will give that to you. Okay, because some there are some speeches about the state of Israel that— Right. Like, what is this, this uh, doing in this Israel? Elvis I mean, story? you know, his, his El- Elvis uh, Ryan, the impersonator, the identical, his wife, um, you know, just a girl from the South, like everybody else, proclaims the, you know, Israel's triumph in the 1967 Six Day War as a modern day miracle. Israel won the war. It was a modern day miracle. She and all, is the voiceover person. She's for the, the movie. Right, she's <laughs> the narrator. So and she's then, kind of the voice of God. And then all of a sudden, Ray Liotta lights a menorah in his southern. I'm presuming Baptist church that he's that he's in. And then I'm just going to say Elvis Presley, the 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 Elvis Presley character, the impersonator is walking around with a Jewish pendant. He's wearing a Jewish pendant, a high pendant because his parents are Jewish. Mm -hmm. What does this have to do with anything? Why are we here? Why are we talking about this? Aside from the fact that the movie was made by a religious organization called City of Peace Media, which deals in I, I was Judeo-Christian say, I was say, music and entertainment. But I was going to say, there is your answer. There okay. is your answer. Because not a good is, answer. Because this is a bizarre movie that they're not sure if Elvis fans are going to love or hate. So let's create a backup market for ourselves, shall we? And the Judeo-Christian consumer. I just feel I like... think that's what they're doing, and I don't think it's a good idea. I think every time there's a speech about Israel in this, 
the whole movie comes to a dead stop. <laughs> well, I just don't understand <laughs> what we're all talking about. everything else seems to kind of fit together, and that seems really out of place in the movie. Yeah. There is actually some minor, minor, minor debate on whether or not Elvis Presley had some kind of had a slice of Jewish uh, heritage in him. But I just don't understand why that has to get blown up into a giant movie. Uh, you know, supporting this, the entire Israeli project just seems completely bizarre when I'm watching a movie about Elvis Presley. I'm just going to say one last thing, Kristen. There's a scene in this movie where the manager, uh, Ryan, the identical, the twin brother, he's got a manager, and the manager tells him not to get too big for his britches. He says to him, there's only one Elvis. There's only one Drexel. There's only one Beatles. And I just thought... Are you telling me that in this fictional world, there is not only an Elvis Presley, but a Drexel the Dream Hemsley who looks and sounds okay. exactly right th- like him and a guy who is a not an Elvis impersonator, but a Drexel impersonator? Okay, I will give that to you, Rafer. I will give that to you. You are Baffling. Correct. Yeah. Baffling. You're correct. That was also a weird moment in the movie. I'll give that I'm, to you. It, but it over... shattered my concentration. Yes. I, I, no, it I brought my mind too. to a dead halt. I caught that too. But I will say, despite all of these issues and problems in the movie, I still thought it was a lot of fun. I think that movie was bizarre, and I think you're bizarre for liking it. <laughs> I'm going to say, all right, the identical oh, Rafer, bizarre always, date. You've, bizarre always, date. N- you've always known I'm bizarre. And do you know what? <laughs> I'm going to say the identical pretty good date in a fun, stupid way. Fun, stupid, bizarre, identical date. Yes. Okay. I can't juggle, I can't let up but I'll listen to your tale. Coming up by popular demand, we review the sci-fi movie Snowpiercer and... We interview Stuart Murdoch, lead singer and songwriter of Bell and Sebastian, and the director of the new pop musical, God Help the Girl. Plus, we fact-check a little something that many listeners called in about regarding last week's podcast. All that, plus movie trivia, in just a moment. I was an ace when I was young. I learned to dance. I didn't have to learn. I was a case when I grew up. This is Movie Date. I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Rafer Guzman. And let's move on to Snowpiercer. This is a movie that a lot of our listeners have asked us to review. It's been a very complicated film as far as the release goes. It was originally supposed to be released in late June, and there were fights happening between Harvey Weinstein and the filmmaker. Harvey wanted to trim 20 minutes off the movie. That's right. And have a voiceover throughout the whole movie. And um, because we're dumb, and sometimes we need things explained to us, and this might have been too arty for us, it's based on a French comic book, it's a South Korean director, what if we don't understand? Um, So there was a big fight happening, and that ended up uh, resulting in the film having a very limited release, I think in eight theaters. It was very very limited, but it it wound up doing very well. Uh, Yeah, it it expanded, and uh, it's been hugely successful in VOD. And then, last week, it became the first film submitted to the Academy for consideration for an Oscar. So now it's yes. trailblazing its way to the Oscars, possibly. Rafer, do you want to give an explanation to our listeners about what this movie's about? Oh, boy. Throw that on me, why don't you? <laughs> um, okay. Well, this is, uh, yes, it's a, it's a post-apocalyptic science fiction film. Um, but before you tune out, because we've seen so many of those... Um, this one's this one's a little different. Uh, it's much wilder and wiggier and more inventive, I think, than a lot of uh, oh, a lot of these usual absolutely. kind of movies. Um, what you have here is a 
cataclysmic event that takes place. It's this in this year, 2014, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some uh, an attempt to save the planet by detonating a what is it, Kristen? Help it's me a, out. They're, they're releasing a special chemical into the atmosphere to deal with climate change. To deal but, with climate change, but rather right. than evening out the Earth's temperature, it puts us into a deep freeze. <laughs> right. It kills everything, like extreme deep freeze. We're yes. talking if you're exposed for 17 seconds, you freeze solid, right. sort of deep freeze. Right. Ice ice age I, beyond ice age deep freeze. Uh, the solution to keep humanity's last uh, uh, remaining people alive is to put them all on a giant, giant, long train. Like a thousand cars long. Yeah, yes. With a, quote, perpetual motion engine. Of course. Well, what science fiction movie is not going to have a <laughs> perpetual motion engine in it? Uh, and this train will circle the globe. I was presuming um, chasing the sun, basically. Yes. Circling the globe continuously, perpetually, round and around and around the entire Earth, trying to keep these last survivors uh, on the train. And of course, what happens is you wind up with a uh, an extreme class system in which the elite, the leaders are at the very front in the nice cars where food is plentiful and uh, the air is clean and life is good. And the lower class are in the back, back, back cars where they're being fed hideous protein bars and uh, beaten by the guards and they sleep in filthy rags. Uh, one guy, played by Chris Evans, is going to lead a revolution and storm his way with his friends up through each car of the train until he gets to the front where he can take over. Here's a clip. You people who would know by the benevolent Wilford would have frozen solid 18 years ago today. And now you repay his kindness with violent hooliganism. You scum. Precisely 74% of you shall die. So... This this seems to me to be the kind of film that uh, could have gone in any number of directions. This could have been sort of a big-budget, slick Hollywood movie. It could have been kind of a pulpy comic book, stupid movie. It could have just been a quiet, three-set arty movie. Exactly. It been, it, but you know what? It's none of those things. I totally agree. It's like nothing else I've seen as far as the post-apocalyptic genre in recent years. It's visually really fantastic. And, you know... We spend quite a bit of time in steerage yes. with, with, with <laughs> steerage. these folks who – and everything's kind of sepia or green-toned in, yeah. the, in the back of the train. There are no windows. They're eating these things called protein blocks that look kind of like, kind of like brown jello. Yeah. You don't know what they're eating. Don't spoil that. That's a great not gonna, moment. I'm not going to say what it is. <laughs> not going to say what it is. It's not Soylent Green. No, it's not it's... Soylent Green. want to make that really clear. Right. A lot of people told me it was Soylent Green, and I think they were trying <laughs> to like confuse me. Right. Um, and there's a lot of time spent back there, but – once you see what the other cars are like, yes. wow. It's fantastic. It's the, such great visual storytelling. Yeah. I mean, I think the real, uh, you know, the journey is the destination, I think, on this film. The real fun is traveling car by car. It's just sort of storming your way upwards with this gang of revolutionaries and getting to see what the next plateau of existence looks like. You know, is it going to, there's, it's going to be a schoolroom. It's going to be a dance club. It's going to be a W hotel. It's going to be a sauna. Exactly. (laughs) People are all going to be having sex in the swimming pool. Exactly. Exactly. Someone's going to the dentist. Right. And And things get more and more and more decadent and bizarre, which is the kind of thing we've seen before. Hunger Games is very much Mm -hmm. like that, right? This kind of everything looks kind of Weimar-esque as, as you get as you get into the capital system in uh, in the Hunger Games. Yeah, but this is amazing because it's not 
flying, you know, or going on a, you know, going on a long journey to get to Capital City. It's on the other side of that wall. Right. It's on the, right exactly. And exactly. then the other side of that wall and the other side of that wall. And, right. And which cars have windows and which don't. Very fascinating. And right. which ones have – I'm not even going to go into details. I don't want to – I don't want to spoil anything here. Well, I feel and, like we've and, said a lot already. And let's not forget about Tilda Swinton in this oh, movie. Oh, my gosh. Tilda Swinton. Ridiculously good. Ridiculously good. She's she, so over the top. She just but makes really, the movie. Yeah. She, even though she's over the top, it's not like distractingly so, I don't think. you know. I'm going to say, though, uh, given all this, and even though I love this film and I've recommended it to many people and I recommend it to everyone out there, Harvey Weinstein was right. 20 minutes should have been chopped off this film. And I, the, I, the ending of this film goes pretty much off off a cliff. I think the I think this film gets to its end and just doesn't quite know what it's trying to do. And um the ending of this film to me is a little bit of a letdown. And mm-hmm. I feel that if 20 minutes had been trimmed and the ending had been clarified, you could have had a massive hit of a movie. And instead you've got something that's a little artier that might be hard for some people to take maybe. But I still love this movie. I would still say it was a great date. I'll agree with you that Snowpiercer could have been a little bit shorter, maybe 10 minutes or so. Okay. I'm okay with an artier ending. I don't need everything to be super tidy. Okay. I really don't need that. And I I'm think... a tidy guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I have faith in viewers. I think people are really smart and they don't need things over explained to them. I agree that it was good not to have a bunch of voiceover in this. Oh, definitely. So, I know, hate voiceovers. Jun Ho Bong, who's the director from South Korea, who was very insistent on not having voiceover, I think he was right. Yeah. I think it's better not to have voiceover. We're not that dumb. And then um, I also just want to say I, I think that it's interesting how they tried to get internationalism into the movie. We yeah. have black people, white people, Asian people, and so yeah. on. Yeah. And that was also good to see because I think a lot of post-apocalyptic future movies, they leave out all the people of color. They yeah. Leave yeah. Out, they leave out other languages. They yeah. leave out other cultures. This one didn't do that. Octavia Spencer is in this movie, yes, oddly enough. She's she shows great. up. She's great. She's oh, great. Totally great. I love Octavia Spencer, and she's really good in this. Very yeah. different. A very a different character for her and a different character for this kind of film, I thought. Oh, yeah. Really absolutely. good. So Snowpiercer. Great date. Great fantastic, date. Fantastic, fantastic date. All right, good. I'm glad we agree. And still on VOD, people. Yeah. Pretty when you put down your bow the good folks at Soundcheck at WNYC, we have a nice relationship with them, don't we, Rafer? We sure do. They, they invite us on their show sometimes. They're so nice. So recently they invited me to guest host the show, and I got to sit down with Stuart Murdoch, lead singer and songwriter of Bell and Sebastian, a band I just love. I'm very jealous of uh, this, Kristen. You should have been there. I'm, I'm sad you couldn't have been there Very for jealous. It. <laughs> and we talked about his new film, God Help the Girl. This is a film that began as a concept album over 10 years ago. And then got turned into a musical. It centers on three misfits who start a band during a magical summer in Glasgow. Here's our interview. I'm a, a prodigy, a demon Stuart, thank you so much for being here. First and foremost, I want to ask you if you've always wanted to make a pop musical. And if so, if you were looking at other pop musicals for inspiration or if you drew inspiration from other types of musicals, like Broadway musicals or vaudeville and so on? I never knew I wanted to make a musical until it came along. It just suddenly all came together, it just occurred to me. I like that you make a distinction between pop musical and what I would think of as, as an old school musical. 
um, I think this veers slightly more towards a pop musical, and I, I like I think I like pop musicals more, although there's certain ones like Sound of Music or My Fair Lady that I kind of rise above. You know, I think they're they're terrific. The, the music's terrific. Um, but there was many, yeah, many films, lots of films from the they call New Hollywood films, such as Harold and Maude and Shampoo and movies like that that really that were kind of benchmarks for me. The sort of tone that they set. Um, th- th- those were real. I was clinging on to those films for certain things that they they really helped me with the tone, and they helped me with. They they had similar arcs, and and they they were they were sort of guiding me. You mentioned just a minute ago the sound of music, and I couldn't help but notice watching this that Maria von Trapp makes kind of a cameo in the movie, and I looked very closely at the closing credits of the film. Is that a Murdoch playing Maria von Trapp in the movie? <laughs> it's my wife. <laughs> she uh, she was kind of negotiating for a role pretty early on <laughs> in proceedings. I mean, she obviously she had to deal with me talking about this movie for a long time. She was my first sounding board. You know, we'd go for you know these drives at the weekend, and she'd say, "Okay, tell me what's you know what's the story? What give me up to date? What you've been doing during the week?" and I would talk through the, the script and she would say, oh, I don't like that, I don't like that, or I like that. And so, yeah, she wanted a little cameo and, and I thought that that would be funny. And, and she she actually got the her outfit made herself, you know. Oh, wow. She got her friend to make it and she just turned up that day. I'd never seen her in her costume. <laughs> and I thought it was so funny. And then, I mean, we only had, we, we shot the movie really fast. We had to. So there's only a, a couple of takes of those kids running about and, She's kind of grinning. She's kind of breaking down the, the third wall or the fourth wall or whatever it is, you know, but it's kind of funny. It's amazing just how those scenes of, you know, out in the fields and in a canoe and at a dance party and all of this was shot in just a few weeks, right? It was shot in just a, a few weeks. We even had a, a week sort of lopped off the schedule shortly before we were about to shoot because we didn't quite make our budget and... The hero of the of the of that shoot was the the camera operator, the um, the photographer uh, Giles. Um, you know, he really performed miracles, and he shot everything kind of from the hip. You know, we didn't. We, uh, you know, he just kept moving the whole time and shooting from from his shoulder, and and moving fast. And that's how we managed to do it. You have all the lingo down here. Did you know anything about movies before you started making this? I'm just making it up. <laughs> I, 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 don't know, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, maybe maybe a couple of things have, have rubbed off. The, no, in fact, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> There's a slightly disparaging abbreviation that you use DFI for when it's a different something idea. You know, when, and you hear you hear you hear this going around the crew. You know, they whisper down the microphones when the, when the director's obviously kind of changing his mind about something. But it also means. The DFI I, I learned afterwards also means director something incompetent. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so. Now, did any of your background being on stage did any of that prepare you for this? I think so. I think I would I would be I'd be in a lot of trouble in, unless I had been able to you know see a creative process through from start to finish. There's so many parallels. You know, when you get into a big album project and you're guiding the songs through. It, it's very the, the, all the stages are the same. You have the writing stage, you have the production stage, and you have the editing stages. It, that 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 happens in film, and I found especially the editing stage to be very much like you know mixing an album and, and mastering an album. You know, 
um, just without the picture stuff. But that was very intuitive. Um, and the writing stages, you know, I fell into that quite easily. But the actual production stage, that was... I'm used to standing up, you know, with a, a large crew of people, whether we're doing a, a gig or playing with an orchestra. It's just what you're telling them to do is, is obviously quite different. You know, stand here, do that, uh, you know, use this camera. That's that's something I, I think I could spend 20 years doing and I, I still wouldn't... I. I I still wouldn't be very good at it. Now, were Bell and Sebastian involved in this film in any way? Absolutely. Apart from being, you know, ultra supportive the whole way through, um, Bell and Sebastian were the backing band for the original record, and they had various jobs on the record. Um, like Sarah watched the film as many times as I did. Almost, you know, he she helped me with editing, gave me lots of notes. And Stevie Stevie coordinated the the music. You know, he'd be running around coordinating the musicians and equipment. And yeah, they were just generally. And most of them are in the film. They have little cameos. Oh, I'll have to look closer next time and see where each of them are in the yeah, movie. Yes, Sarah's a nurse. She's a psychiatric nurse, but she's she she's grinning a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you see her for a second, and then. She sort of grins and then the camera pans away from her. <laughs> yeah. I'll see that next time. Yeah. Stuart Murdoch, thank you so much for joining us today. Stuart's new movie is called God Help the Girl. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. Last week, Kristen, you made a comment that raised some hackles. Here yes, and there. Which happens a lot. First of all, I want to say this is not unusual. Many of you are so great to call into 5717 movies. Yes. Or to write to us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. You do it quite often. And we love it when you call and write into us. Um, but this week, the, the question, I wasn't, you know, let's just play this. This is Heidi Hilty from Lakewood, Ohio. I just finished listening to the Fall Preview podcast. And Dennis Kucinich was never a senator in Ohio, but a congressman. Thanks. <sighs> yes, that's right. I called Dennis Kucinich a senator in the last podcast. Was I wrong to do that? Was I right? Who better to ask than our friend Todd Zwillick, the Takeaways Washington correspondent? Thanks so much for being here, Todd. Any way I can get on the movie date podcast <laughs> is okay with me, so be wrong all the time. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey, Todd. <laughs> so, Todd, I just want to say on my behalf here, Dennis Kucinich. Heidi, like many people, said he was never a senator in Ohio. He was a congressman. But he actually was a state senator. I know that he was a state senator in Ohio. He wasn't a U.S. senator, but he was a state senator. And yes, he was a congressman and a presidential candidate, obviously. But if someone's a state senator, does that mean they're not a senator ever? Well, let me turn a question around on you, and maybe this will help answer itself. Um, If Barack Obama were to walk in the room, how would you address him right now? Hi, you handsome. Okay. <laughs> Try again. Mr. President. Mr. Mr. President. Okay. Barack Obama was, in fact, a state senator in Illinois. You would not call him senator. He was a U.S. senator as well. He was a state senator, but you would never call him that. What about, you know, you know who Dianne Feinstein is? Yes. Senator okay. from California. And you would address her as? Senator Feinstein. Now, you wouldn't address her as Mayor Feinstein. Now, she was mayor of okay. San Francisco in 1979, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't call her that. She rose to higher office. So... Those two facts being the case, I'm here to tell you, yes, indeed, Kristen, you're wrong. He's referred to as congressman. He may have been a state senator, but nobody calls him that. The, the, the 
protocol for a thing like this is to refer to a person from their highest office, and especially in federal offices. They actually keep the titles. So Dennis Kucinich is not a congressman anymore, but you still refer to him as congressman if you see him. That all that all totally makes sense. I, I was a hardware girl once, but being called hardware girl Kristen for the rest of my life. <laughs> Score one for Heidi. Heidi was right. Todd, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Glad I could be of help. Todd's Willick, Washington correspondent for The Takeaway. Kristen, as always, let's wrap up with trivia. Woohoo, trivia! Tell us what last week's trivia was. So, last week, in honor of books that have been adapted into film, and we had a lot of them on our uh, top 10 list of fall movies we're most looking forward to, but in honor of that topic, we played a clip of a certain movie that's based on a book, and many people do not know that it's based on a book. Here's that clip. You know, some parents, when they're angry, they get along much better when they don't live together. And sometimes they get back together. And sometimes they don't, dear. And if they don't, don't blame yourself. Just because they don't love each other anymore doesn't mean that they don't love you. So many right answers Tons. this week. Just, I, I think we may have broken a record this week with yes. how many people called and wrote in with the right answer this week. It was incredible. Here is one answer that we randomly selected from the many that came in. Hi, this is Leslie White from New Orleans, Louisiana, and this is in response to the trivia question, and I think it was a nice tribute to the late, great Robin Williams. Um, the movie is Mrs. Doubtfire. Did not realize that it was based on a book. Leslie White, New Orleans, great job. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so we'll make this one maybe a little bit harder. Um, we were talking about the identical um, Baffling, strange. Wonderful, funny, peculiar. And also Jewish. Strangely <laughs> Jewish Elvis Presley film. Okay, so there's that. Now, that led us to uh, go back and find uh, a somewhat famous, some, some people might call it infamous, Catholic Elvis Presley film. We're going to play a clip of this film. Here it is. Please don't. I get a feeling there's a message here. Like maybe there's somebody else. Could say that, yes. An idealistic doctor and three sisters of mercy doing their thing in a tough city jungle, facing situations hard to cope with. Romance beyond their bounds and the madness of our times. If you know the name of this film in which Elvis Presley falls in love with a nun, give us a call. 5717 Movies. You can also visit us at facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast or, as always, visit our page, moviedatepodcast.org. So let us pray together, pray together, pray with the one body for.